Hi everyone, my name is James Bamfield and I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast series called Spirituality for Today. During this podcast series, I'll be explaining why the spiritual voice is needed in society now more than ever with the many challenges we face both individually and collectively. I want to frame spirituality in a new way which is practical, inclusive, non-dogmatic, joyous and socially relevant. I want to show you how my spiritual path has enriched my life beyond my wildest dreams and how I share these learnings with others. Hi everyone, my name's James Bamfield and this is the podcast series Spirituality for Today. We're on to episode number four, which is about growing up. If you remember last time we had waking up and these are the, what I call the spiritual technologies. How do we become more spiritual? And one of those ways is by growing up. I'm here today with someone new because for various reasons, including Corona, our beloved Corona, Laura can't make it today. So I have a new interviewer whom I know fairly well because it's my wife, Mickey. Now that might sound a bit incestuous to ask your wife and life partner to interview you. But I think, as you'll see, it actually fits pretty well. So with that, I will just hand over to you, Mickey, to say a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump in. Well, thank you. Yes, I am um, new to this podcast series, and I am not new to James. We met in 2000. We were at a family constellation workshop that I was leading and in those days I called that personal development, which now James is referring to as uh, growing up, but we will come back to that later. And then James entered and it was this intriguing Brit who had traveled the world and the seven seas. And we were, were both 36 and I had been walking the growing up path and James had the background of the waking up path which was an interesting crossroad in our lives and James would you like to continue explaining a little bit what that phase in your life was how it felt where you were yes so a lot of my spiritual path up until that point or just before that point, had been to do with what I now call waking up. So that's more the transpersonal side, the Eastern Enlightenment, we could call it. And what I've already said is that was fantastic and it served me very well and I'm still totally into waking up. But certain problems do not get solved just through waking up technology, that's what I found, which is why I ended up going for a family constellation with you. 
Exactly. And um, what exactly were you discovering about yourself in that phase of your life that you were looking for, um, well, the family constellation, but also other growing up practices? I think just certain patterns of behavior, attitude, just didn't shift. So I still felt stuck in some ways. I was still very single. I hadn't managed to have a long-lasting relationship until that point, which was a big source of pain to me. Uh, no family, no real, no family of my own, no real anchor in my life. You know, I'd been a bit of a drifter, traveler, always something new. And I think there was something missing in my grounding. Yeah, it's very interesting because I think in that period of my life, I was very grounded with three kids. I mean, I had a divorce behind me, but I had three children. And everybody knows when you have a family with three children, you need to be very grounded. And I needed to get some wings and to wake up. And James, the woken up man, uh, really needed to um, find some ground. And uh, that was, um, yeah, that was where we met and where we also discovered the pains and the joys of a long lasting relationship. James, what, how exactly would you describe a person who has been going through some growing up practices and ways? How does that person look like, behave, feel? Okay, yeah, let, let's jump right to the sort of uh, result end of growing up. When With growing up, we can talk about results. That's not so appropriate with waking up. Signs of being grown up. First of all, it's a never-ending process. Never stops. There's no final destination with growing up. Either individually or collectively. And I'll come back to that later. I said before that I felt trapped. So one of the models we use is the trapped self and the free self. So there are certain ways that I simply didn't feel... It didn't feel good being James. So there was some deep internal struggle with myself that was unresolved. I didn't feel free in that sense. And do you have an example of that struggle? Yeah, I think the, the, the restlessness, um, the inability to stay in one relationship, in one place, I think certain fears I had, certain ways in which I found it difficult to open my heart. And at that time, two very important meetings, I, I met you and I reconnected with Aaron Stern, um, a longtime American friend, whom I met actually in the waking up world with Michael Barnett originally. And he also had a big impact and really, both of you really drew me into 
the need to go into my past much more deeply. Because with the Eastern Enlightenment, with waking up, you know, the self doesn't exist. So what's the point in, in digging into the past so of the self? that's the big difference between the waking up and the growing up. It's the waking up is the non-self, the area of the non-self. And the growing up is the personal development area of self, discovering self. And you were mentioning the past. Is there Are there other areas, domains of growing up that are important or that became important to you? I mean, I think it's all it's all connected to that in the sense that, you see, what Eastern Enlightenment and Buddhism and so on, it doesn't really give any value to the personal path through life, the personal story. So that's James, James's story, Mickey's story, and how those two stories interweave, of course. And what I've learned is that there there is something special, deeply special and precious also about the personal path and also in relationship to other people. So if here's a sign of, of, of being grown up is that you really feel yourself and your own authenticity and at the same time, you really see and feel the other. You see the sort of general compassion for other people in the world that comes out of meditation, you know, that someone like the Dalai Lama talks a lot about, which is great and necessary. I don't think that's ex the same as the very personal love where I really see Mickey. I, I see the other. In the transpersonal, it's more we are all one. We all feel one. We've, we're in one big ocean. And what you describe is more feeling unique, feeling yourself and feeling different from the other. Right. But also being able to make a strong connection, keep your heart open. Yeah, to, to feel solid in yourself, to feel your own power, if you like, but also being able to move into relationship. So I learned a lot through the basic principles of Gestalt, for example, what Martin Buber called the I-Thou relationship, where we are different. We're not all one. And we don't have to be. No. In fact, part of the beauty, like in a relationship like ours, is that we are different. And that's part of what we've, we've learned from each other is through that difference. And accepting the difference in, instead of wanting to change each other and into the same. Exactly. I think that was my first lesson from Bert Hellinger in uh, couple therapy, is people meet each other and are attracted through differences. And then after a while, ta-da, ta-da, they want to change each other because they want the other to become more like themselves. But that's never a good motivation in a relationship. Uh, James, well, this was a bit about growing up um, through relationships, through our uh, personal relationship, but you also mentioned Aaron Stern earlier. Uh, what exactly um, did Aaron add to your growing up path? Well, he had an enormous influence on this 
personal side, also what he called relational learning. And one of the technologies that he introduced me to was character structure, which we've been using now for years in our work. And character structure is a psychological typology which helps you to see in quite detail how does your early child form your ego, if you like. What are the coping strategies that you used for various difficulties you came across as an infant, as a, as a young child, and how did that create certain patterns, certain ways of seeing yourself, certain ways of, of seeing the world? And he really helped me through the character structure and various other ways, how to unravel some of my past. And um, that's when I really saw, you know, for example, how the incredibly difficult time I had at school and so on, and, and some of the cultural norms that I grew up in, what we call the, the family religion, how that had an effect, such a strong effect on me and was still unconsciously controlling me and when you see you when, when you see what the effect is on you and how it controls you how do you move into the growing up what's the next step so you see your past you see how trapped you are and then how does it help to be untrapped or well i think the first thing is you know that's that's a healing process it's basically a a learning process, a psychological process, and it's also a therapeutic process. You know, that's what the word therapy means, is healing. Is you need to uncover some of the wounds that we sustained when we were young, which is inevitable. It's a tough world that we're born into. Nothing goes, you know, exactly as we want it. And you have to reopen some of those wounds in order to see them and in order to, to have them healed by being in a setting like with a therapist or, or in, with a group or in a nourishing relationship that helps heal that. So that's the first step, you know, that's the traditional psychotherapy, healing work, learning work that needs to happen. Okay, so you need to look at your past The things that are unconscious become conscious. And then from that healing moment, you can move into... Well, the, the first thing is that, that, you know, that releases a whole lot of energy and that enables you to feel more free in yourself. So one of the ways, if you like, to, to, to measure, to evaluate how grown up we feel is the what was made famous by a man called Eric Byrne in transactional analysis. And it's so simple and so effective. It's His saying is, I'm okay, you're okay. So if you can walk around on this planet with a basic internal feeling of, I'm okay, and I think you're okay, But so often people are walking around with an inner dialogue or a, even some, not even dialogue, completely unconscious, I'm not okay. 
and yes. the other person is not okay. So I see everything that's wrong in them, and so, I blame yeah, them. Yeah, you things. make yourself smaller, or you make make yourself bigger and arrogant because you want to feel more than another. Well, that's that's a really good point because ego, as in the limiting ego, comes in two forms. One is the puffing up of the self, the arrogance, making yourself bigger than you really are because you need to prove something. And the other side of the ego coin is making yourself smaller than you really are and being full of self-doubt. But either way, you're too busy with yourself. So the ideal of free self is the grown-up self, is that you're not actually busy with yourself all the time. You're free to just be and act in life without this constant self-referencing, self-commentary, self-criticism. And when you feel free, your full potential is also, you have more access to your talents and your full potential, uh, I guess. Yes. In fact, you, well, you have, it's where, it's how your uniqueness can come more to the surface. And all your colors shine instead of only a few of your colors that you allowed yourself to shine. Uh, it's, there are more, just more colors and they're brighter probably. Right. They're brighter. They're more exciting. They're more juicy. They're more varied. Mm. They're, you see, that doesn't, I don't believe that comes out of meditating, you know, 12 hours a day. That, that comes through, through growing up. It, it, growing up is, is so also so exciting, you know, it, okay, it's work, but it's work with, wonderful, tangible results, the, the quality of your life simply improves. It it feels better to be you. Is it true that people who are on a path of growing up also, that they usually will say, oh, I would never want to go back because what I know now is so much better than when I was trapped or when I didn't see all these things? Absolutely. For sure. You know, the, the, the first stages of development, psychological development, are automatic. It's basically biologically determined. You know, you go from being a baby to an infant. And with each stage from, you know, being able to sit to being able to crawl to being able to eat solids and so on, this is accompanies certain psychological development. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Freud came up with a whole theory around that development. So the first, you know, until your sort of your your brain is fully formed and, and, and also your body, it all happens automatically. But after that, then we're into the territory of, of growing your own soul. That's an expression from Gurdjieff, the, the famous Russian teacher, which I like very much, is that For, to really develop and grow up from that point, it's, it's up to us. Is it more the conscious development, yes. the choice, the choice that you have and that you make instead of the unconscious growing up that just happens through the life that you get? That's and, right. Uh, that's, that's right. So where we are now in growing up, so we've covered... You need to look at your past, 
There's also your relational life, how you are in relationships, how, if you can stay with yourself and be connected to others at the same time. Are there other aspects of growing up that you find important to mention here? Yes, there is. And this is, some, this is a realization that's happened more recently, I would say in the last five, eight years or so, is that I've realized that, I mean, with many people's help, I've realized that there's a push and there's a pull to growing up. So the push is our past. So if you like, our past is, is pushing us into growing up. So that's, for example, your wounds. Your, your, your wounds, exactly, your character your, structure, your, 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 your circumstances. Psychology, exactly, yeah. the circumstances you were born into, um, both individually and collectively. So when it's not just my individual past that has formed me, it's my collective past. You know, it's also belonging to the English culture and so on. The Western culture, if you like. Your boarding school, exactly. your family. Yeah. Exactly. But that's just half the story. And in a way, this is the more mystical part. So it connects a bit more with the, the waking up world, is that I realize more and more that there's a pull from the future. That somehow there's a, there's a potential James in the future that is drawing me forward and I can have a glimpse of that future James which gives me enormous motivation to keep growing up and gives me it almost it, it works like a, a magnet mm. I think that's maybe very new and very interesting for some of the listeners How could people who have never experienced this, how could you give, give them a glimpse or an example of how do you access that destiny or that glimpse of destiny? Well, that's a good question and I'm, I'm still finding out. I mean, for people who want to know more about it, I firmly recommend to look at the work of, I think first of Otto Sharma and Theory U, And more recently, Mark Gaffney, whom we both know, who's really, I feel, done a lot of research into this and, and expresses it very well. It's almost like a, a vision. So in a way, you need to go into a fairly meditative state to access it. You can't do this while you're running and doing a lot of things. You, you, you need to create some space and some silence to... To access it? Well, I think you need to create silence inside your mind. So it actually, it sometimes does happen when running. But with, oh, I meant running through life. I yeah, oh, mean, I see what I you did mean. I didn't mean it uh, <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, so, so as you know, it often comes to me when I'm, when I'm in nature, when I'm still, and I'm, I, that I stop the usual routines and, and stop playing on my on my smartphone and um, just create some space. Some intentional, emptiness. is it some intentional space you need to create or can it just happen in the queue of the supermarket? I think it's more likely to happen with intentional space. It could theoretically happen 
in the supermarket. <laughs> but more often it happens with intentional space. And you see, the, the reason why this has some such depth, this idea of push and pull, is that, and this is what Mark articulates, is that this is how evolution works in general. So we've evolved out of our past. Our past is driving us. You know, the whole evolution from single cells to multi-cells to amoeba to bacteria to, you know, complex organisms and so on until, until this day. So evolution is, is happening. And no matter what, it happens No, no anyway. matter what, mm -hmm. but a lot of people believe, philosophers, theologians, thought leaders, that evolution is partly driven by the past, but there's also some kind of telos. That means there's some kind of future point that is also drawing it, because otherwise it's very hard to explain exactly how the, the miracle of ev evolution has worked. And I feel the same about my life, that when I see how it's all fitted together, my whole growing up, waking up process, this feeling that somehow I'm also, there is a kind of destiny that is, that is drawing me. I don't think it's a destiny that's all set in stone, what it is. It's sort of like a potential. So it's, it's karma is kind of like your path is set in stone and you have no decision. Is this pull, is this more like I'm open to whatever destiny wants for me or what life wants for me and I follow that? I think something like that. I think karma is both basically based on the past, actually, as I understand it. So this is, this is slightly different to that. I certainly think that's one. I mean, but there is something mysterious about it. You know, we it's, can't fully grasp it and articulate it. So it's it. the opposite of controlling your life. It's being open to the mystery and, and also being curious. Yeah, being curious and open and not mm -hmm. fixed in our ideas of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So not having an idea, oh, I'm like this and that's that. Mm -hmm. that. That is the killer for growing up, is to have too fixed an idea of who we are. Fixed identity, fixed right. convictions. Right. Uh, right. Okay, and you men mentioned something about the collective growing up. Mm. I think if you look at where we are now, do you see some collective movements? Well, I see yeah, a lot of collective movement. Um, do you have an example so yes. that it becomes a bit more tangible? I think one of the huge ways in which we can immediately see a growing up on a collective level is supposing we look at a big social problem like racism, you know, which has been a lot in the news through Black Lives Matter, or sexism, as in the Me Too movement and so on. Now, That, to me, is a sign that the human race is trying to evolve. Because clearly, racism is a bad thing, as is sexism. 
You know, I think most people would agree on that. And in fact, there's been huge progress on these matters. One of the examples I use is that, you know, in the 1920s, there were 4 million members of the Ku Klux Klan, and now there are 4,000. That's a big difference. And the very fact that we're so outraged by racism when we see it... Is a good sign. ...is a sign that conscious, collective consciousness is changing. Now, it's not uniform evolution. So there are still plenty of people who probably do have racist outlooks, for sure. But one of the um, models of development is from egocentric to ethnocentric to world-centric. So that is, how far does our circle of care and compassion spread? And if we are racist, that is saying that our circle of love and compassion does not go beyond our own tribe, whether that tribe is the tribe of men, so women aren't within my circle of care and compassion, or whether my tribe is my race or my religion or whatever it is. So I see the human race on this big edge between ethnocentric and world-centric where the other tribes are equally important to our own. Okay, so the maybe you can say a little bit more about this movement from egocentric to ethnocentric to world-centric, because I think this is a new model you introduce here. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember whether I mentioned it before, but it's a very important one. So this originally, I think, came from the developmental psychologist Carol Gilligan. So egocentric is our most immediate level circle of consciousness. So we're aware of ourselves. And there's a healthy egocentric and there's an un unhealthy, a toxic egocentric. And the healthy egocentric is looking after oneself, is feeling good about oneself, caring for oneself, making sure that as far as possible, our needs are being met. And that's also your personal waking up path, I guess. Egocentric. Yes. Say more. Well, when you are, sorry, your growing up, your personal growing up path is a sort of egocentric movement. You feel that you need something right. and that you want to take some steps in life. Do you know, I, I'm really glad you say that because people don't realize that, that growing up and working on oneself is actually an expression of self-love. Mm-hmm. And self-care. You need it, actually. You've, you, you usually do it when you bump, you, when you have a crisis in your life or mm. you feel completely mm. bad and you, uh, you know that you need something and then you usually find right. the path to the growing up. Right, because it reduces unnecessary suffering. Mm -hmm. But of course, we don't want to get stuck in the egocentric. That brings us to the egotistical side or the narcissistic side. So it has to go beyond that to love also for our whole tribe. So this is a big deal, historically, evolutionary-wise, evolution of culture, where the love goes beyond the extended family to the tribe or the nation as a whole. So that was already a big step. That was already an increased capacity for love. 
But that's not the end point. We have to go even further to include the world-centric, which is all the other tribes. And that is the movement that's happening now. Yes, yeah. as you can see, we're, we're on the edge. Men, women, different right. races, right. everybody right. is, e even animals. You know, there's some people who don't accept anymore that animals are treated in a, in a bad way. So that also maybe creates the vegan and the vegetarian movement. We, we just don't accept the suffering of cows anymore. Or some still do, but others don't. That's right. Thank God. I think the inclusion of animals and nature in general, animals, rainforest, etc., is a vital part of the human race growing up. And it needs to happen. And as you see, it's often two steps forward, one step back. But this is, if you look in evolution, certainly the evolution of culture, that's happened throughout history, is that you'll have a sudden evolutionary burst, like in classical Athens or in China at the same time, and suddenly democracy, sort of flickers of democracy are born, where people have equal rights, And then after a hundred years, it slips back for several hundred years before it takes another step. Mm. So, of course, that, that doesn't sound very what hopeful does, for now. What does that say about evolution? <laughs> <laughs> well, that it's not uniform. It's not a straight line. And so, but there is a directionality mm. to it. But so is growing up. In a way, we come back to the personal. When you are on a growing up path, you sometimes think, oh, wow, now I feel more free and I have more space and I have feel more ways of expressing myself. And then you can regress a little bit because right. you bump into a new uh, layer of yourself that needs attention. We all have relapses, you're right. And part of the growing up is being able to accept that. Because if we can't accept that, if we can't have that tolerance for ourselves we're still in the trapped self because there's too strong a self-evaluation of course we need to be aware of it but beating ourselves up about it is back in the mm -hmm. trapped self okay, we're, we're so, not in free self then. so being kind yeah. being kind on the path is maybe a quality that you need to uh, not to suffer too much exactly mm -hmm. exactly Well, you know, that's one of the important differences in growing up is the difference between pain and suffering. Oh, well, yeah, I remember you have a very beautiful explanation for that. Maybe it's mm -hmm. nice to share that here. Well, like many things, I, I say it's not my own. I think I've made it my own. So, so pain is inevitable in life. I mean, just look just around happens. us, you know. Mm. On one level, life's a bummer. You know, and, and you and I have Shit it happens. very good. Shit yeah. happens, right. Shit happens. And so there's always going to be pain. It doesn't matter how woken up you are, how grown up you are, I don't think pain will go away. Whether that's physical pain, emotional pain, doesn't matter. So pain is inevitable. Suffering is pain plus resistance. So it means we're not 
we need to find a way that when something bad happens, something difficult, that we accept that pain. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take any steps to help ourselves, but there's some basic level of acceptance. Oh, uh uh-huh, this is difficult. Mm. Because if we really struggle against it and keep blaming either someone else for it or keep blaming ourselves... Or the circumstances. Exactly. We or God or whatever it may be, then we suffer. Because that's that's a double whammy. It's you hard suffer, enough. You suffer, so you also a bit of a, you also feel a victim of yourself or the circumstances. Yes, you feel a victim. So either going into a whole self-pitying victimhood. Mm-hmm. That's also a trapped. That's also a place it's, where you feel trapped. That's right. So accepting the suffering. Do you do you have any recommendations? How do you do that? How do people move faster through the pain? Or are we back then into the waking up? Is that where the waking up comes in? I think the waking up, the, the, the meditative bit definitely helps there. But I think it's this inner step of just accepting. You know, this happened to me just recently with a little conflict I have. You know, I'm, I'm not someone who enjoys conflict very much. You know, in my family of origin, conflict was avoided at all costs. Prefer okay. to look away. I know. I had to learn to go into conflict. <laughs> um, so when a conflict comes, there's always a part of me that goes into panic. Oh no, the world's falling apart. That person doesn't love me. I can't manage it, etc., etc. But what I've learned was, and I did the last few days, I really just gave it a place. I thought it's okay. Maybe this is exactly the right moment to have a conflict. To, you know, maybe this is exactly what I need to grow up mm-hmm. right now. So you, you, see? you need some, you need some uh, bummers or adversity to grow up to. It's not only through going to workshops and to, through having good teachers. It's also through reflecting on the difficult things that you attract in life. Right. The slings and arrows of fortune, as Shakespeare called it. (laughs) Yes, it is, because then, because there's a huge proactivity in growing up. It's taking responsibility. It's not just feeling a victim of circumstance. And of course, that is much easier in some cases than others. You know, I'm not a economic or wartime refugee. Of course. But I'm sure it's a lot harder. But yes, it is trying to, it's, but I don't want to say that growing up only happens through adversity. Growing up also happens through, and this is a sign of being grown up, is through gratitude for what we have. Gratitude is such an important quality. You know, it's, it's funny, but with all the people I work with, when they're very gratitude, uh, grateful for what I've done or me and my colleagues have done, and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with this yourself, of course it's nice for me to hear that gratitude, to get that acknowledgement. But what also happens is then I realize, oh wow, they've really made a step. 
Yes. To, to be able to go to that place of gratitude, a, a real growing up has happened. Okay, so we've covered on the theme of growing up, we've covered what it is and why one would invest in uh, growing up. But uh, I think there's also still the how to cover. So what would be typical practices that one could do to take some steps on the path of growing up? Well, I would divide that into the, the formal practices and the informal practices. Okay, so maybe start with the formal ones. Yeah, the formal ones is what you've been doing for the last 25 years or whatever it is, um, which is, so there's individual work, there's coaching, therapy. I mean, with countless different methodologies, you know, everything from psychoanalysis, to gestalt, to... Trauma. Working with trauma. You know, all the different psychological methodologies for helping people, heal people. Helping people work on themselves. And that can be mind, mental things, but also body work can also be individual. Yeah, I mean, I would... Yes, it can. I, I would go even further. You know, one of my six principles is embodiment. Without, certainly in my case, without the somatic, body-oriented therapies and working methods, I definitely don't think I would have woken up. Mm -hmm. Because our relationship to our body is fundamental to our growing up. Okay, yeah, and some of your past is also trapped in your body. It's not only in your mind and in your heart right it's especially in your body and that all needs and your basic this basic feeling of i'm okay that i was talking about i can't really disassociate that from my relationship to my body that there needs to be sufficient okayness and it's well it's not just feeling okay it's it's delighting in our body it's 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 finding ways to let our body become radically alive mm, alive and radiant and radiant feel good exactly that's why qigong is also a formal practice that's been very important to me i've been doing it every day now for seven to eight years as you know yes <laughs> and People tend to think Qigong is more of a waking up technology, a transpersonal, but in my experience, it's very much both. You know, you're working with psychological archetypes, not just yin and yang, but continually doing these movements has had a huge effect on my, on my psychology. Yes, just as for some people, it's, it could be yoga or tai chi or... That's yeah, right. There are other That's forms right. than, right. uh, yeah. than the Qigong. So we've covered mind and body. Is there anything else you think of now? Well, very fashionable these days is the more shamanistic forms of working. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit? Because not everybody knows what shamanism is. Well, shamanism is the various kinds of spiritual practice which often have a strong psychological element, which were around before um, organized religion. 
So that's from, you know, you, you see it a lot in Native American. Mm-hmm. The Aboriginals. Ab- Australian yeah. Aboriginals, Indigenous people. And these no have become mates. very fashionable these days of having these rituals. You know, it's the, it's the sweat lodge. It's the ayahuasca ceremonies. It's... Um, And don't these shamanistic rituals or forms cover, don't they cover the growing up and the waking up? I think they do. Yes, I think they do. If I look back, I think I've had experiences of both through the... Because in a sweat lodge, you can get to know yourself and your boundaries, but you can also have an experience of enlightenment and of feeling one with all, I guess. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very true. Okay, so we covered individual work. What other practices um, would you recommend for people to walk the growing up path? Well, as you know, my main work is with groups. So I'm a big supporter of growing up work in group. And what's the advantage of group work when you grow up? Because groups are so difficult. Yes, you know, there's a real a, challenge. There's a certain safety in being one-on-one. Yes. And groups tend to trigger some of our deepest patterns, deepest wounds from our past, because a lot of us have a difficult, complicated history with groups, going back to family, school. Being bullied. etc. And there's something about being in a group that is also growing up as a group, So this is this is the work, you know, like in, in Leading by Being that myself, Anya and Andre Pelgrims do, where a group is together for a year and a half. And so often what we hear is, even after the first couple of sessions, people say things like, God, I didn't know you could be in a group like this. To have this level of vulnerability, this level of honesty, this level of permission to be myself. And to to trap into your normal traps and get feedback that is safe or that you... you Because it's a sort of safe place where you can experiment with with growing up, with discovering yourself. Yeah. I mean, group is perfect for growing up and waking up because it's also great to to meditate in a group. But in terms of growing up, what we're always trying to do is we're creating a safe container where people can take risks. Safety so that you can experiment. Yes, and don't, don't risks don't uh, come back in their faces, which we usually, when we take a risk... In a less safe space, it could come back in a difficult way. And it still might in the group context because, you know, other people get triggered. But even there, we create a safe way in which that can be processed. So so some of our worst fears about groups are realized in the process. But, you know... The group is there and the facilitators are there to hold that process, to hold people in that process. And all those people are there for the same reason. They all want to grow up. They all have an intention to 
be vulnerable, to learn, to be in an intentional space. And so I think that also helps to um, to deal with what comes back to you. Enormously. I mean, it's a massive source of support. You know, many of the groups that we've worked with, they also stay together often, you know, yeah. especially the, the real leaders groups um, that we do and so on. I think that's... But that's a good doorway into the informal practices because you said we're together with other people who have the same intention and motivation. And for me, this is vital that we need, if we're serious about growing up or waking up, but I think it's more obvious with growing up, is we need to surround ourselves with evolutionary partners, evolutionary friends. That's enough people who are also committed to the process of growing up, both as a, a, a source of support and a source of challenge. Yes, and I think that is what we, as a couple, really, what I learned from you and what we learned as a couple is to attract friends where we can, you know, we, we create forms with them where we have deeper conversations, where we can challenge and support each other. And it's not a sort of informal chit-chat the whole evening, but we really go to the deeper and more interesting places with each other. That is very true. And um, so for me personally, it's, you know, one of my key evolutionary fields is my relationship with you mm. and all the partners I've been with in the past but obviously with you it's gone on for a lot longer <laughs> 20 years 20 years and so but I have groups of friends and colleagues you know like with Anya and Andre in Leading by Being or with Aaron and Marianne in Before in America with Leading by Being in America and my my three oldest friends, you know, Patrick, Mark and Thomas, you know, we've known each other forever and we come together for a talk once a month. Um, these are vital circles for me or like the, the CEO council that I work with, the business leaders. We've been coming together for, you know, 13 years now and I'm the facilitator, but it's also my kind of men's group and I've learned a huge amount through mm. that and we all know that it's not all been sugar and peace there is also a lot of challenge with your friends with the councils that you lead you know people really feel safe to challenge each other and that's probably the biggest learning somewhere definitely it's mm. through as always part of the learning comes through the challenge and part th comes through the feeling of, of solidarity. Yeah, a feeling loved and I guess also having fun. I think that's also that's a quality. a lot of fun. As you know, I'm a big fan of fun. <laughs> I know. Finally, I'd just like to say something about the quality, the felt quality of an evolutionary relationship. It feels erotic. I don't mean in the sexual way. Of course, sexual, sexuality is part of the erotic. But erotic eros is the spirit of evolution. It's that 
electricity you can get between people where you feel something is growing, something is developing, something is evolving. And that can be in an evolutionary relationship, a friendship of some kind, partnership, but it can also just be an evolutionary encounter. It can be on a plane, it can be at a supermarket where there's just that little buzz. You meet someone and there's a spark and you feel turned on, but it's not necessarily sexual. We feel alive, radically alive in an evolutionary relationship. The anthroposophical world have a lovely expression for this, where we are counselors of each other's destiny. I think when I, when I had a meeting or an afternoon of an, or an evening with friends and it has been evolutionary, I think the aftertaste is fulfillment, it's mm -hmm. warm, and you, yeah, th there, is, there, is, there is trace in you, it, it leaves a trace in you. Whereas when you have had an evening of chit-chat, it doesn't really leave mm. a trace. That's a nice way of looking at it, mm. by, by assessing it in terms of the aftertaste. Yes, I think mm. that's true, yeah. Okay, James, I think it's time to wrap up now. Is there something you would like to add to uh, finish this podcast? No, just that I've really enjoyed doing it with you. Mm. It was an honor. And uh, who knows? Husband and wife podcast will continue somewhere. I hope so. The next episode will be back with Laura, but I hope in the future... We will reunite in the podcast world. Okay. So thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye to all. Bye. That's it for this episode. If you want to know more about me and my work, you can go to my website, jamesbamfield.org. You can go to the website of my company where I'm a partner, that's quinks.org, and there you'll also find various training, seminars, workshops, and so on. And if you want to get started straight away, there's a free meditation. Just click on the link in the show notes at the bottom of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to help, then just give a rating, a high rating, because that helps spread the podcast series. Thanks and hope to see you for the next episode.